0: Hello everyone, this is Tim and Sharon Tenner talking to you today in a
1: different space,
0: different different context, different surroundings than we normally record because we don't have a recording studio. (laughs) Typically we get into a small space with sound buffers around us and that might be a walk-in closet or Mm -hmm. blankets hanging around Mm -hmm. us or whatever we can come up with. But we're recording this on March 30th, 2020. And we're in lockdown in our home because of the COVID-19 threat. Mm -hmm. And uh, even in this space, we're trying to stay some distance between you and I because we've both had some minor symptoms of stuff we're just not sure about. So we're trying to protect each other. So we're sitting here in a room next to our kitchen, wide open space. Mm -hmm. This may sound echoey. Yeah. You may hear the refrigerator. You
1: may hear the wind chimes outside, which is actually quite lovely.
0: Yes. You may hear the dog.
1: Yes. Who's curled up next to me. So she may do weird things. (laughs) Who knows?
0: Yeah. Sharon, how are you doing through all of this?
1: I'm doing okay. I know that this is a really tough time for a lot of people. I would Mm -hmm. say, especially people that struggle with anxiety in general. Yeah. And some people are even talking about how they're struggling with, like, intrusive thoughts, kind of OCD-type behaviors, where they're cleaning a lot, Mm, washing their hands a lot, being terrified they're going to give things to their kids or to their elderly parents or whatever. And so, yeah, it's a really heightened time of feeling like we can't control anything. Well, and in reality, we can't. (laughs) Uh, We can't control this. This is not something we can control, and that's a very uncomfortable feeling for human beings. We like to at least feel somewhat in control
0: couples that i work with who were already dealing with issues in their relationship or marriage now you have this thing that comes along for many of them forcing them both to be at home caring for kids doing work managing life in the constraints of their home mm-hmm. along with whatever issues they were dealing with mm-hmm. sometimes infidelity sometimes other relationship stuff ah boy that's that can be tough i mean for some of these couples it's become a rallying point where they've been reminded, hey, there's reasons why we are good partners together. There's Mm -hmm. some things we can do well. So they're in survival mode. Mm -hmm. They're cooperating. Mm -hmm. There's even a sense of satisfaction in how they're able to function. And maybe it's a reminder of some of the good things about their relationship. Now, they're going to have to deal with issues when this pressure comes off, but maybe they're able to do it from a more balanced perspective or at least a reminder of, hey, there are good things about us that Mm we would forgotten. Mm -hmm. I think for other couples, it's been the pressure cooker that's just intensified Mm. the problems between them. Yeah. So I guess it's different for every individual, every Mm -hmm. couple going through it. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, yeah. Even people that aren't struggling with anything out of the ordinary, you know, just regular couple struggles, you know, um, you know, it's difficult to be in the same place (laughs) with this person for a long period of time no other outlets really it's like are you trying really... to tell me something yes i am i figured out this is the best way to do it
0: <laughs> going out to the world
1: <laughs> no but i mean it just is a different dynamic that we've not ever had to deal with before in our time anyway
0: yeah. well for a while we shared a lot of the same space and we still kind of do I and mean, we're sitting in the same room together but mm-hmm. i've been spending more time in that side room and you out here mm-hmm. just trying to be safe been one of the safest we different using stuff, different yeah. bathrooms fortunately we're both kind of geeky we love xbox so oh, we, yes. we, we both can get on our mm-hmm. xboxes with headphones on and actually be playing together
1: in separate rooms yes
0: in separate rooms so, so
1: technology helpful. can help
0: <laughs> it's 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 been a, a weird experience and i know there are going to be people listening to this podcast not at the end of march but maybe weeks months possibly even years yeah. and who knows what looking back on this event and their experience of it is going to be like... I know. For some, there will be very personal stories of struggle, maybe loss yeah. going through that. Others will go through this and with very little effect or change maybe mm-hmm. in their life. Mm-hmm. We don't know.
1: Yeah. That. Well, that's part of the
0: thing. Yeah. I, I, boy, at the beginning of this year, who would have thought that in our wildest imaginations that we'd be experiencing this right now?
1: No. I don't know. And I, I think especially in America, we are so entitled and so... Mm insulated from so many things. We are in our own little bubble of America, you know? And so this is a thing that many, many people are just thrown by that like, oh my gosh, this touches us too. What? (laughs) I think it's why it took so long for our country to kind of even admit that something was happening because it is just something we hear in this privileged kind of blessed country. And I know not everybody is equally blessed in this country at all. Mm -hmm. But um, but in general, I think we typically think of like, oh, well, that's something that happens over in China.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's a good reminder that for all of us... Mm there are things that were just out of our control. Mm -hmm. We like to assume that we can look at the future, have a certain prediction of it, and even control every aspect of it. But there are things that are absolutely out of our control. And people can give careful attention to their personal health, their financial security, and something comes along outside of them that wipes those out. And there's nothing you can do about it Mm -mm. in many cases.
1: All you can do is try to manage your reactions to things right you're only in control of yourself you literally cannot control anything around you or anyone around you you can only control your own reactions to things and that is a kind of two-sided coin i think there's a certain amount of stress and anxiety involved in that knowing that you cannot control other people or circumstances Mm. but then if you look on the flip side though there's actually a lot of like calm that comes with that well, or I like so peace. I mean
0: even ultimately and this is maybe a little bit morbid but accepting the fact that I'm going to die. Sure. Anybody listening to this that's just a fact of life. Mm-hmm. And once we accept that oh that's going to happen mm-hmm. and maybe even between now and then there will be other things that come in my life that I don't anticipate that I won't necessarily like but I can't control whether or not I experience them. Mm-mm. Well then what? Then how am I going to live that life? Mm-hmm. Right. What is a story I'm going to tell as far as I'm able to control it. I can't control all my circumstances, but in the middle of whatever those circumstances are, I want to control the story I'm telling with my life or the choices I'm making or who I'm becoming in the middle of all of that.
1: Yeah, I know. I've had some conversations with clients about managing those feelings. So Mm -hmm. when I say you can only control yourself and your reactions to things, they say, well, what does that mean? If I have a lot of anger or I have a lot of fear or I have a lot of disappointment, How do I manage that? Do I just ignore it and just try to, and I'm like, no, no, that's different. It's different to stuff it down and just kind of live with that little poison inside of you for a while. It's another thing entirely to actually look at it straight in the face and say, I see you, I see what you're doing there and realize that anger, fear, all those things are your brain's way of trying to protect you. And that's okay. That's what it's supposed to do. Yeah it's when it becomes maladaptive and starts to take us over and we get stuck there. That's the problem. Yeah. But if we can look at it and say, I'm choosing to release you, I'm, I'm identifying that you're there and I'm feeling this way and I'm gonna let myself feel it for just a little bit, like a few minutes. And then I'm going to say, okay, thank you. I'm done. You can go now <laughs> and just try to kind of picture releasing it. I actually picture it in my head. I do like a little guided imagery thing of picturing, putting whatever the negative emotion is in my hand and telling it, you know, okay, I see it. I get it. Thanks for trying to help me. And now you're done. Yeah. You know, and I imagine it floating away and then focus on something positive instead. Then you choose to say, okay, now I'm going to focus on, instead of that, I'm going to focus on whatever you're grateful for, whatever good things are in your life, different things about yourself that you love. You know what I mean? Just anything like that. And choose to do that. That's how you manage those feelings.
0: So you talked about avoiding the extremes of putting it down, shutting it down, putting it behind a curtain, pretending it's not there. Mm -hmm. And the other extreme of we just give full vent to it, like it controls us. We're trapped by it. And in between that is recognizing, no, these things do exist. I experience them. Mm -hmm. But I have volition. I have choice. Mm -hmm. There's something I can do in the middle of this that leads me out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or or affects the choices I make in a way that's that's healthy, not unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good introduction to what I'd like to spend a little bit more time talking about in this podcast. And that is a consideration of the motives that are at play when we make the choices we make in our life or when we experience certain changes in our life. Mm-hmm. Many times it's not so much what we do, but why we do it. Mm-hmm. So I want to consider the one motive that I observe that seems to be at play when people make long-term healthy choices in their lives and in their relationship. If you want to get a transcript of this podcast or links to other resources that go along with it, simply go to affairhealing.com slash podcast 501 and it'll all be there.
2: Welcome to The Recovery Room, a podcast presented by AffairHealing.com. Here's your host, Tim Tedder.
0: Let's talk about change. When a client comes in for their first appointment, I might ask a question something like, well, what brings you here today? And you know, I've never heard a response that sounds anything like, well, Tim, you know, everything in my life is just so wonderful. And I just wanted to spend some time and money to come talk to you about how great life is. (laughs) People are willing to give up other resources if they believe someone might help them towards change. But you know something? Not everyone who desires change actually experiences it. Why do some people, despite their earnest desire for something different, end up returning to the same old patterns and experiences while others manage to move on in new directions. Before we look at possible answers to that question, consider these two ideas. Idea 1. In any situation, no matter how forceful it may be, you are capable of choosing how you will respond to it. Your circumstances, that is, where you are or what you are experiencing, are distinct from your self, who you are, how you act. Idea 2. If you are not content with your life's direction, you can change. To begin, you should realize that satisfying long-term change is achieved when you are driven by an inward passion, we sometimes call that intrinsic motivation, the motivation that comes from the inside out. Long-term change is achieved when you are driven by inward passion rather than outward passion, which sometimes is called extrinsic motivation. The kind of motivation that comes from the outside in, like other people's expectations, uh, requirements, obligations, the duties that you need to perform. And unless you are in a forced environment, like a prison camp, you will likely only realize long-term change in your life when the motivation from that change is coming from inside you. It's being driven from your own passions, desires, and will, rather than the outward influences that are coming in. Now, let me raise the stakes even higher. Consider these claims.
2: You can face disappointing circumstances or an uncertain future and still find hope. You can feel all the pain of betrayal and still experience compassion. You can suffer the deep wounds of angry criticism or accusation and still believe you are more valuable than that. You can stand confidently against the strong opinions of others who are telling you what they think you should do. You can make a confident decision between conflicting choices, even if it requires sacrifice.
0: Do you believe those statements? I do. And I believe they can be true of you. How? Well, start by considering this. The choices you make, are primarily determined by whatever desire you feel most deeply. Let me say it again. The choices you make are primarily determined by whatever desire you feel most deeply. If you are concerned about making changes, you should consider what motivates you to want a certain thing or to move in a particular direction. You need insight into why you are compelled to make one choice rather than another. In many instances, your reason for a choice may be more important than the actual choice itself. I face this often when a betrayed spouse asks me whether they should stay in their marriage or leave it. I can't answer that question for them, but I can help them focus on understanding the reasoning behind whatever choice they make. Their reason will determine whether or not their decision is a healthy one for them. I may sit with three different clients during a single day, all of whom have decided to stay with a cheating partner, and observe that only one of them seems to be making a healthy choice. My assessment isn't based on the condition of the relationship, but on the reason for their decision. Motive makes all the difference. To determine which choices are good for you, first consider what compels you to make them. People tend to be moved by three primary desires, and I'm gonna call these desires, do, get, and be. You experience all three motives, and each of them plays an important role in the decisions you make. There's not one good motive and two bad ones. They're all necessary. Sometimes they're in sync, pushing you towards a common goal for various reasons. Other times, however, each of these motives directs you towards a distinct outcome. When you feel a tension between the choices you have to make, the desire that has been most deeply cultivated—doing, getting, or being— That will be the one that determines your decision. Let me help you understand the difference between each of the three motivating desires. Let's start with the motivation that comes out of a desire to do. The doing desire is driven by the need for approval or appeasement. The source of approval may be parents, family, peers, a partner, church, God, or or any outward standard. A doing person's focus is to maximize praise and minimize disapproval. This is an external motivation. The expectation to think, act, or live in a certain way is defined by something or someone outside yourself. You may be compelled by a sense of obligation or duty, or or by the fear of consequences if you fail to act in an appropriate manner. Failure to meet that standard, whatever it is, usually results in feelings of anxiety or shame. Now the motive to do plays a very important role in our lives. If we didn't have external standards to follow, The world we live in would become chaotic as each person just defined their own rules. Thankfully, we don't live that way. I may personally prefer to drive double the speed limit, but I don't. And even if I would prefer to have all my groceries for free, I exit through the checkout lane and pay for what I want. Those are all choices made out of a doing motivation. There is value in considering the standards outside of yourself when you are thinking, what is it? I'm supposed to do. But there is a potential problem. Doing becomes a problem when it is the primary motive in an individual whose inward beliefs and desires are contrary to the outward standard. Because this person lives under a constant tension of trying to satisfy the outward obligations and yet struggling with their inner thinking and belief conviction, maybe, about those same things, the long-term outcome tends to be either, one, an eventual rebellion against those expectations, and it's often expressed through dramatic changes in behavior or attitude, sometimes even affairs. Or two, that person may continue to live under the felt pressure of those standards but it's a life lived with joyless acquiescence. The following expressions are examples of thoughts or actions motivated by doing.
2: There has never been a divorce in my family. Mine is not going to be the first marriage to fail. I do things this way because I've been taught to do things this way. I would have quit this career path long ago, but my parents convinced me to keep at it. If I were to do that, my church would shun me. She threatened to make my life miserable if I left her.
0: At this point, I'm not considering what person making those statements might actually do. I'm more interested in what those statements tell about why they are making the choices they are making. Whether the choices themselves might be deemed good or bad, they're making them out of a motivation that is outside of themselves, expectations that are obviously in conflict to what they feel or believe themselves. Now let's consider the motivation that comes by a desire to get. This desire is driven by the need for gratification and pleasure. The person acting out of a desire to get, they believe that satisfaction will be realized by gaining something outside of themselves. It might be a fulfilling relationship, a successful career, maybe it's wealth or possessions, getting a good reputation, achieving a particular goal. Those are some of the things that can be a focus of a getting motive. Like doing, getting is also an external motivation. It pushes you in a pursuit of outward goals and reward you with the pleasure of achieving them. Anyone who's firmly established in this desire, the desire of getting, they will demonstrate great determination and a single-mindedness in their efforts to attain whatever they want. These people are often recognized as highly motivated and successful, at least by the measure of Western culture. Now, for good reason, you are a getter, someone motivated by getting in one way or another. I mean, so am I. You want a happy relationship. You want a satisfying job, good health, secure finances, and maybe a great cup of coffee on a cold morning. These are all things worth having. You want to experience enjoyable things. However, once the pursuit of these things becomes your primary focus, your contentment can be altered by circumstances out of your control. As long as life cooperates, you remain pleased. When it does not, you become discontent. And certainly, as I record this, we're in the middle of a COVID-19 pandemic. Things that are outside of any of our control are affecting millions of people around the world. Affecting the health and lives of people who have been committed to eating and living and exercising right. Wiping out the finances of people who have done all the right things in a smart way. In so many ways, this has been a stark reminder that ultimately, we have very little control of the things outside of ourselves. Think about the things that you desire and consider all that is out of your control despite your best intents and efforts. Betrayal, injury, a failing economy, accidents, canceled flights, theft, interruptions in a schedule, pandemics, or the person who got there before you did. All of these and many more can instantly ruin your best laid plans. More significantly, Many people eventually realize that an achieved goal doesn't provide the satisfaction they expected it would. So a new pursuit begins in search of something else that they hope will provide lasting gratification. Now, it may seem that wanting to get a good marriage is an adequate motive for healing after an affair. But it's not. You know why? Well, for one thing, if your partner doesn't want the same thing, you will become frustrated in your inability to get what you want. Additionally, you will only remain motivated to work on change as long as you feel like you're getting what you want. When you stop feeling good about the relationship or lose hope for feeling good, you're probably gonna stop working on change if the motive for the change is getting. The following expressions are examples of thoughts or actions motivated by getting.
2: I'm willing to change if it will get him to love me. If I keep doing this for five more years, we should be financially set for life. I'm losing my marriage and I don't believe I will ever be truly happy again. Why should I do any more work? I can see things are not going to turn out the way I want. I love the recognition I gain by doing all these good things.
0: Those are the kinds of thoughts or behaviors that come out of a motivation of getting. Now let's consider the motivation that comes from a desire to be. This desire, the desire for being, is driven by the need for meaning and purpose. The person motivated by being has a vision of the kind of person they desire to become or continue becoming and they find fulfillment in the choices that lead them toward that vision. Now, unlike the other two desires, being is an internal motivation with a primary focus on inward change. A being person is motivated from the inside out, and so they're less affected by outward obstacles like other people's opinions or discouraging circumstances. Throughout their lifetime, they can steadily move toward their primary goal regardless of shifts in the people or events around them. They demonstrate a level of inner stability and vulnerability that encourages a more intimate connection with others. And people motivated by being tend to report greater satisfaction at the end of life. Bonnie Ware wrote a best-selling book titled The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, in which she chronicled her work with dying patients. Bonnie shared the final 3 to 12 months of life of many people and talked to them about the joys and regrets of life. Consider the five regrets most often expressed by these dying people, and what each of these regrets teach us about the value of doing, getting, or being. Number one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life others expected of me. Number two, I wish I didn't work so hard. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Number five, I wish I had let myself be happier. Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist and a Holocaust survivor. He suffered through unjust conditions and witnessed the dark side of humanity. His wife, mother, and brother all died in concentration camps. He later wrote a book titled, Man's Search for Meaning, in which he described the life of a camp inmate and observations regarding what gives purpose to life. Here's what he wrote. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken away from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. The best choices are not those that are made from a focus on the value that others place on us, which is doing, or from a reaction to our circumstances, which is getting, the best choices come from a clear perspective of who we are and the story we want to tell with our lives. That's being. The following expressions are examples of thoughts and actions motivated by being.
2: The life I thought I would live is no longer a possibility. Things have changed forever, but I still have a good story to tell. Do you want to tell it with me? I seem to be the only one who thinks this way, but I cannot make the choices others want me to make because it would violate my conscience. I make certain choices at work because being a good wife and mother is more important to me than having the best job. I've put off serious relationships because living out my passion requires so much of my time and energy.
0: Those statements may not be ones you would make, but for the person that's appropriately motivated by being, by that inward passion, those inward values, those choices will lead them in healthy directions. Now, as I said before, We're a mix of all of these motivations, doing, getting, and being, and there are good aspects of all three. But the question I want to pose to you today is when you consider doing, getting, or being, which one is your deepest desire? All three of these motives should be at play in your life. And although being is the desire that most consistently drives people towards healthy change, doing and getting should not be considered undesirable motives. There are times when you should put the desire or expectations of others before your own. And seeking pleasure or avoiding pain are universal motivations often necessary for survival. But here's a truth that is important for you to understand. When your choices are in conflict, the motive that has been consistently cultivated and firmly established will be the one that determines your choice. It is your deep desire, and it will take priority Over the other two. A person with a deep desire is single minded and they're willing to sacrifice in the other areas in order to achieve their goal. For example, a person with deep getting desire will sacrifice the approval of others and even their own personal values in order to get what they want. A person with deep doing will sacrifice things they want and even their own passions in order to please others. And a person with deep being will stay true to their inner passions and values even when others disapprove, or when they are in painful, disappointing circumstances. Now let me just take a minute to clarify something to those of you who have a spiritual orientation or have strong faith in their lives. I know some of the arguments that have already formed in some of your heads, because when it sounds like I'm criticizing doing, In other words, paying attention to the standards outside of ourselves. And I even included in that example the standards that come from a person's experience of church or of God, and I talk about that not being a primary motive for change, and instead somehow it has to come from within ourselves. I know that there are those who say, oh, Tim's just saying that we should be our own gods. It doesn't matter what my scripture says or what the church says. If I wanna disagree with it, I should disagree with it. I'm not saying that. It is not my opinion that what I personally believe is the ultimate truth. I believe that there is wisdom and there is truth and principles and obligations that are outside of myself. But what I am cautioning against is having a life that is motivated just on those external expectations and pressures if they have never been internalized into the heart of an individual. There are many cults, there are many fundamental movements in religion in which people are raised to just conform. And if any question or doubt comes up in their mind, it's quickly pushed down because what a person feels and believes is considered to be of no value. I hope you don't hear me as being critical of religion or faith. I'm being critical of religion or faith that is motivated by doing, or maybe even getting, you know, that if you do all the right things, here's all the rewards God's going to give you on the other side of it. Faith, spirituality, that brings value to a person's life, is the kind that is woven into the fabric of a person's value and character. I hope that makes some sense. Now let's go back to a consideration of the three desires, doing, getting, and being. And I want to give examples of these from a perspective of affair recovery. In the first scenario, let's consider three different spouses who have a partner that's involved in an affair. Let's first of all, look at a betrayed spouse who has a deep desire to do.
2: For the third time, Jack's wife left him for another man. He has lost all hope of regaining an intimate, trusting relationship, but makes his choice based on what he has always been taught. Marriage is meant for a lifetime, and so you never give up. Jack pushes down his resentment and waits for her to come back again.
0: Now consider another spouse who has a deep desire
2: to get. When she finds out about her husband's affair, Cindy becomes frantic, She cannot imagine going through a divorce and being alone. She begins the work of convincing her husband to give up the affair and come back. Cindy compensates for his failure to change by assuming responsibility for putting her marriage back together again.
0: And finally, here's a betrayed spouse motivated by a deep desire to be.
2: Jamie feels the deep pain of her husband's betrayal and hopes their marriage will someday be restored. She tells him this and invites him to join her in the work, but focuses on ways she can move toward healthy change, whether or not he accepts her invitation.
0: In Scenario 2, we'll consider a spouse deciding between their affair and their marriage. Here's what it might look like in someone with a deep desire to do.
2: Even though their marriage had been empty for years, Lydia never intended to cheat on her husband. Falling in love with a coworker happened so easily that it seemed natural to start an affair. When her husband found out, she ended the affair and returned to her marriage, because that is what a good spouse and parent should do. She has little expectation or intention of loving her husband again, but doesn't want to feel the guilt of being the one who broke up their family.
0: Now let's consider the spouse acting out of a deep desire to get.
2: Mike knows he has hurt his wife and disappointed his children. This is never what he intended, and he hopes they will forgive him someday. He knows he could return to his marriage, but believes he will never experience the connection and intimacy he has found with his lover. With only one shot at life, he decides to do what is making him feel happy.
0: And here's an example of someone with a deep desire to be.
2: Justin does not want to lose his marriage, but feels a strong emotional pull towards his affair partner too. He stopped trying to compare his lists of advantages and disadvantages between the two choices. Instead, he spends time considering what values and qualities are most important in defining who he is and who he is becoming. What story does he want to tell, regardless of his circumstances? From that clarity, he makes his choice. Now, what happens
0: when a person fails to nurture a deep desire? If that person is faced with choices that are in strong conflict with each other, as in the example above, do I go back to my marriage or do I go to the affair partner, when there's a strong conflict between choices and no particular motive has been sufficiently deepened in that person's life, then they're likely to either freeze an in indecision or to switch choices repeatedly based on whatever desire feels strongest in a particular moment. This vacillation is most often observed in the constant shifting between doing and getting desires. It's like a ping pong ball. We've talked about this before. A person goes back and forth and back and forth between the choices fed by these two motivations. To do what's expected of me or to get what I want. And they stay caught in the tension between those two things. Spouses who are uncertain about their marriage sometimes attempt to fix their marriage out of a sense of responsibility and obligation. Doing. But they quit trying when the hard work of rebuilding loses to their longing for something or someone that seems better. That's getting. The person who goes back to the affair partner, eventually, when their needs have either been satiated or maybe guilt rises again, the double-minded spouse might recommit to the marriage again out of a sense of doing. And so the cycle continues. Ping-pong. Ping-pong. I've watched capable, smart adults become seemingly powerless in their indecision. Their ping-ponging can go on for years until someone... Often the spouse or the affair partner finally breaks the pattern by stepping out of it permanently. The better choice is to change focus by first considering who you will become through this experience, rather than just what choice are you going to make. I want to make a case for the advantage of being. Being is the desire that can consistently lead you to healthy outcomes. Consider the advantages that being has over the other two motives. Being is the only desire with internal measure. The success of doing is determined by an external standard that may not be consistent with what you truly believe. And the success of getting is determined by a set of circumstances that are mostly out of your control. Being is motivated from the inside out, not the outside in and so you participate more intimately in identifying and pursuing your goals. Being is the only desire that keeps a person stable, even when external experiences shift in negative direction. Those motivated by doing feel guilty, uncertain, or discouraged when opinions turn against them. Those motivated by getting become angry, anxious, or depressed when their desired outcome is thwarted by circumstances out of their control. But someone moved by being can remain steadfast regardless of shifting opinions or conditions. Being is the desire that naturally moves a person to a place of authenticity and vulnerability, allowing them to love more genuinely. Strong personal connections can form within all the circles of desire, doing, getting, and being. But when a person moves relationally out of a motive of doing or getting, They tend to focus more on what they receive from the relationship rather than what they give to it. As a counselor, I observe that being is the one desire that consistently leads to life changes that are genuine, satisfying, and lasting. How do you deepen your desire to be? Well, for many of us, this work is difficult, especially if we've been heavily influenced by doing or getting in the past. I spent over 30 years of my life heavily entrenched in a doing perspective, often making my own opinions and passions become subservient to the ways that other people wanted me to think and feel. Many of the things that were expected of me were good, but they weren't always mine. And that is why I started harboring discontent and resentment. As I began focusing more on being, I found myself returning to many of the same values I once held. But now there's a difference. They become mine. They are part of a story that I am passionate to tell as a person, husband, father, friend that I desperately want to be. When the desire for being begins to deepen in you, you'll find yourself tuned into those things that teach you and inspire you towards that kind of change. You'll read them in books. You'll see them in movies. You'll hear them in songs and observe them in art. You'll notice them in the lives of others and observe them in the people you admire. You'll be drawn to the truth that teaches you what it means to be that person, to tell that story. Don't fear that kind of change. It's a wonderful thing. If you'd like a transcript of this podcast, along with other recommended resources to encourage you in your being, go to affairhealing.com slash podcast. And you'll find those resources there. You've got a good life to live, a good story to tell. Are you living it? Are you telling it? The Recovery Room Podcast is a resource provided by affairhealing.com. For more information about the podcast and resources for a fair recovery including archives of past programs and the schedule for upcoming ones, please go to affairhealing.com podcast. I'm your host, Tim Tedder. See you next time.